We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. You know, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the Darkened Hour. Hello, everyone, and hello, Adam. Good afternoon, Richard. Okay, so we're heading down to sunny Florida today, Adam, to talk about one of the most obscure things in 9-11 studies, I think, and something I did not know about until you told me, and that is the attempted assassination on George W. Bush that potentially possibly, is alleged to have taken place on September 11th. That's right. Um, interesting story in itself is that um, something that in, in his book, Welcome to Terrorland, that Daniel Hopsicker talks about is that you will get the news 24 hours after an event happens, and then the cover-up takes place. And no more proof of that is, is told than, than in this story. And we'll start off with, uh, a reporter by the name of Monica Yadov, who's a reporter for the ABC, ABC News, where she interviews a man by the name of Zain Baleen Omer, who's a, um, uh, a Middle Eastern uh, native who's residing in Sarasota, Florida. This is where George Bush was uh, staying at uh, in his hotel. Now, Omer contacts the police in Sarasota and he tells him that during the evening hours, a friend of his who in the past has made um, violent threats against Bush uh, had come to visit him out of nowhere. Now, the man whose name is redacted in the police reports is, is quoted as Gandhi, G-H-A-N-D-I. And so the man whom the police report is Gandhi um, told Omer that he was just visiting in town because he wanted to get a friend out of jail. But Omer actually was very wary of, of um, Gandhi, and he called the Sarasota police because he knew that Bush was in town, and he felt that this was too um, coincidental that he would visit him out of the blue and give him this story about getting a friend out of jail. So. When he calls the Sarasota police, they go and tell the Secret Service who's with Bush at the hotel. Within hours, um, the Secret Service go to uh, Gandhi's home, um, an apartment he was staying with, and there were two other, there were three other, um, I'm sorry, there were two other men with him. So that makes it three individuals. And they're all from the Sudan. One of those people, um, by the name of Faithful Rahman Omer, um, would be interrogated for 10 hours, approximately 10 hours. Um, 
that's a long time for one person if they didn't have anything to do with what was going on. And the questions were, uh, did, did, they, did they know that Bush was in town? Um, are you affiliated with any terrorist groups? Uh, do you personally know Osama bin Laden? And he answered no to all these questions. Um, then um, 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 Zane Baleen Omer tells the Secret Service about a beauty supply store that um, they, you know, that uh, was also uh, proprieted by a man by the name of Hakim. His name is redacted in the report, but his quote, uh, his name that the police were using was Hakim. Hakim was also somebody who was uh, quite fanatical into Western style um, uh, livelihood. So the Secret Service goes to this beauty supply uh, store and they detain Hakim and question the owner uh, and the, the people that were there as well. Now, what the, what he told agents that Gandhi itself, the person that was arrested in the apartment, was a member of the, the Sudanese People Liberation Army, which is, uh, for the people who don't know, a Christian um, guerrilla group fighting uh, the fundamentalist Muslim government in the Sudan. Now, coincidental is that Osama bin Laden was, was once in the Sudan, but um, he was uh, evicted out of the country uh, due, to, due to the United States uh, forcing Hassan Tarabi, uh, uh, Hassan Tarabi, who was the, the emir of the National Liberation Front uh, and close friends of bin Laden, and he had to get him out of the country. Okay, and just to state the obvious, Osama bin Laden was not associated with fundamentalist Christian resistance groups in That's right. Sudan, quite the opposite. <laughs> so Right. Now, the men taken into custody have all been released, and the, F the FBI and the Secret Service actually said that they were, they found that the incidents, both incidents regarding Hakim and Gandhi were unrelated to the attacks, okay? Which is quite uh, suspicious in its own right. Now, according to FBI spokesman Sarah Oaks, she says, quote, from the book of Terror, uh, Welcome to Terrorland by Hopsicker, quote, nationwide, the FBI has received over 200,000 such tips with more than 5,000 of the tips coming into the Tampa office alone, end quote. Now afterwards, Yadov, the reporter, went back to the beauty store to do a follow-up interview with uh, the people that were on the proprietor and the people that were working in the store, but she found out that it was closed and shuttered. And Hakim was nowhere to be found, Hakim, the owner. And Omer, the person who reported the, the incident, he was also not to be found. So according to Daniel Hopsicker, who did a follow-up on both Hakim and Omer, two years after September 11th attacks, he went to the INS and he called the spokesman for the INS in the Tampa office and they, they gave him the runaround saying that um, they don't know of any such uh, Hakim or Muhammad Omer. And so Hopsicker said in the book that it's quite uh, convenient that these people were giving the blanket, so to speak, by the INS, and by the Secret Service, and by the FBI, and like the incident never happened. Well, according to Shay Sullivan, who's a reporter for the um, Florida uh, Observer, oh, uh, Florida, it was, it was something Observer, I think it's Florida Observer, um, on the night of September 10th, 
Bush and his entire entourage, Andrew Carr and everybody else, stayed at the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort on Longboat Key, uh, which is a narrow barrier um, of luxury homes, which are fringing off the, um, the Gulf of Mexico. At 6.30 a.m. on September 11th, President Bush goes for a four-mile jog around the golf course at the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort. Now, there's a, a news clip you could find on YouTube where he sees this tall, um, I think it was a Secret Service guy who was a marathon runner, and he challenged, Bush challenges him to take a jog with him. They do. And just a half hour before that, at 6 a.m., Longboat Fire Key Marshal Carol Mooneyhan, who's at the front desk of the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort, where Bush was preparing for his horn jog, uh, where he was standing, um, overheard a strange, really uh, peculiar exchange between a colony receptionist who was at the, the desk and a security guard. And what the security guard told the receptionist was that a white van had come to the gate. And the white van was, uh, had four Middle Eastern men in it. And they pulled up to the, the colony and they said that they had a poolside interview with the president that day. And two of the people, the driver in the passenger seat, had press credentials, but he couldn't, they were, he, was, he was standing at a point where he couldn't, like, read uh, what uh, press they were working for, what media outlet they worked for. Now, the, the, the quote, self-proclaimed uh, reporters then asked a Secret Service guard by name. So the guard from the security relayed the request to the receptionist, and then she called the Secret Service in the hotel about the incident. So the Secret Service guard then relays to her that they never heard of that name before and that there, nothing on the report states that Bush was to have a pulled side interview. So with that, the security guard, you know, the, the, the um, security guard then tells the, uh, the four men in the van that they don't have um, any, uh, report that they were to interview the president and that they are to contact human resources office at the White House. So they drive off. The unnamed Secret Service agent then tells someone within the Sarasota FBI uh, who is also on site saying, quote, that that's, that was really strange that he would direct agents to look into that matter, end quote. Now, according to the book written by Daniel Hopsicker, Welcome to Terrorland, he suspects that it may have been very well, it, that that uh, operation, the assassination attempt, may have been planned by Mohammed Atta, the suspected American Airline 11 hijacker, uh, that he was going to have this planned assassination on, on Bush. And I'll tell you why. Based, now I'll quote from the book, quote, based on eyewitness accounts, the Sarasota assassination attempt was probably coordinated by Muhammad Atta himself, reported the observer. If, if three eyewitnesses are correct, terrorist hijacker Muhammad Atta came to the Holiday Inn Hotel and Suites Longboat Key on September 7th, the day the media announces George Bush would be coming and to speak at the Sarasota School. Atta may have been there to meet a second hijacker as well, Marwan al-Shehi, end quote. Now, Hopsicker actually does his own independent reporting, and he goes into the Holiday Inn. 
And he interviewed somebody, uh, a bartender called Darlene Sivers. And she claims that Otto was definitely in the area and that Otto sat on the bar stool drinking rum and coke and that, quote, she says, quote, but I didn't have any real interaction with him. A bartender can tell when a customer doesn't want to talk and he didn't. After 15 minutes, he arrived. He was joined by a second man who didn't speak English and I asked him what he liked to drink, end quote. Now that person was Marwan Al-Shahi, she says later. To back up that story, also, in Saras, just a few days before the attack, Mark Bean, who's the hotel's assistant food and beverage director, claims that the second man that walked into that bar was Marwan al when shown photographs. Later on that day, after the, the, the original man leaves, at approximately 8.50 a.m., a man who stood on the Sarasota Bayfront waiting for the presidential motorcade to pass when Bush is leaving, he sees a very old, white, uh, dilapidated van. By the way, the, the reporter's van in the beginning, the four with the four guys, was also a white van. But, it, but this was a second van that had two Middle Eastern men. And they roll down the window and they pass by and they see the guy and the crowd and they're screaming out the window, uh, down with Bush, you know, F Bush, and they're raising their fists in the air. And they're screaming out the window, both the driver and the passenger. And according to the official schedule, the motorcade leaves uh, uh, Emma Booker Elementary School, that's where Bush went at 8.50 uh, a.m. Now, why is this important? Well, two days prior, uh, a day prior to the assassination attempt on Bush, that's what this was. General Ahmed Shah Massoud, who's the leader of the Afghan Northern uh, Alliance, um, is fighting against the Taliban, Mullah Omar. And this is a long civil war. This is the middle of the second civil war in Afghanistan. And the Taliban is hosting Osama bin Laden. And through that, he sent, it was two al-Qaeda agents posing as journalists. And for two weeks before September 10th, they were trying to uh, get an interview with Shah Massoud on September 10th. Shah Massoud um, actually relents and says, yeah, let's do the interview. And so the two men go and they're like 20 feet right from him. They're setting up the camera. And as the camera is being set up, it explodes and it kills both of the reporters. Massoud actually survives the blast, but he's terribly wounded. So he goes on to a car. They Put his body in the car and they're driving toward um, a hospital nearby uh, in Afghanistan, trying to get him to medical aid, but he expires. But to keep the morale alive for the Northern Alliance, they lie and they tell the um, the soldiers on the front lines that Massoud was survived the blast. But they find out a week later that he dies, and uh, Taliban beats the Northern Alliance actually in the long run. And that is quite coincidental when you, see, when you see what the incident happened with Florida and what happened just a day prior, which Ahmed Shah Massoud. Okay, let me just ask you a couple of questions about that event in Afghanistan before we come back to Florida. Is it generally considered that that assassination was connected to 9-11 or coincidental to it? And by that I mean, was it, you know, it just seems if it's Al-Qaeda's involved, if the modern is involved, he knows that two days from now, 
the biggest al-Qaeda operation ever is going to kick off? And is it a case of getting Ahmed Massoud out of the way first because of whatever reason? I don't know. Or is it really just a, a coincidence and that the Taliban wanted him out of the way and it just happened to be on the 9th of September that they did it? Do you have an opinion on that? Sure. There's two points. One, if we go with the point that the Taliban had no prior warning to September 11th, um, then this was a non-correlated incident. If you go by the fact that the Taliban knew that bin Laden uh, was to conduct uh, an operation like September 11th, um, then this is, of course, part of that operation. In the fact that just months prior, the CIA went to visit Massoud and they tried to implore him to give up the civil war because in the long run, they found out the Taliban just had too many um, members in its groups and ranks and that the, uh, the other warlords, like Gulbuddin Hekmatar, um, was going to join the fight anyway, and then it would just be a matter of time before the Northern Alliance loses. But Shah Massoud disregards the orders and he keeps fighting. Now, if you go by Abdullah Omar, and he states publicly, and even years later, before he dies, uh, that if they had known that bin Laden was conduct operations against the United States, the September 11th attack, he would have not have let bin Laden stay there. And the reason he gave was simple, was that he knew that the American response would destroy the Afghan infrastructure and, and the, the blame would be on the Taliban. He's right. The Afghan infrastructure would be destroyed, but um, but what bin Laden wanted, and he states this in an interview with Taysir Alawani a year later, in an interview, he states that what he wanted was that a long, drawn-out war that would hurt the American economy in Afghanistan. He's right. So both Omar and bin Laden would be right on different accounts. But if you want me to say that the, Tal if they, the Taliban have foreknowledge about the September 11th attacks, there is no reason to know that they did. And so you, you think it's coincidental? The timing. I think it is. Yeah, yeah I, I think it is. Just, okay. just judging, just judging I'm by... Just, I'm just interested to know, what do you think the motivation of the bombers would be? Because we looked at motivation regarding bombers in, um, like the embassy bombers, say, um, for suicide attacks and then on for the coal and 9-11 itself. Uh, but do you think that the guys actually who were prepared to, to die for this saw it as being, you know, keeping... Um, Afghanistan as pure and Islamic by supporting the Taliban over the, the Northern Alliance? Like a, it was like a holy thing to do. The Taliban, this is going to be a very tough question because the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, even though they're both uh, in their theology as Salafists, they have different ideologies in terms of their political motivations. Taliban even though they find the United States to be unnecessary in Afghanistan, they have no um, international, uh, they're not an international threat. Yeah, I, I, know, I just, I just mean with regard to the motivation of the, um, the bombers um, for Ahmed Massoud. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, okay. I, I see what, in regards to that, yes, because the Taliban actually wanted uh, Afghanistan to be a total Islamic caliphate. And people were aware, prepared to commit suicide bombing for that and kill their lives. Yes. Okay, okay. Right. Okay, well, back, back to Florida then. And um, I, I suppose 
I've got a, a few questions on that, but you actually contacted uh, one of the journalists involved. Now, I don't know if you want to name him. Sure. Um, yeah, but that, and it's actually the, um, the Longboat Observer is the name of the paper. I've just looked it up. Right, okay. Maybe the, you want yeah. to talk about that, and then I'll weigh in with a couple of questions. Yeah, the reporter, uh, which I, he really didn't want to be contacted, but I told him who I was and told him why I was interested. So I'm going to leave his name off. Um, but he was a reporter for the Longboat Observer, which I got wrong before I said Florida Observer. Longboat, thank you, by the way. Yes, I contacted him through email. And this was about two and a half years ago, a little bit way back. And I talked to him about this incident. And this incident is hardly ever talked about by even the most ardent researchers in 9-11. I can understand because it's very, the story really uh, is not very known um, at all. So when I contacted him, I, I, I posed four questions to him about why the story was so uh, restricted, why, why what happened after September 11th, why the story was given no press. And I also asked him what uh, became of um, the, 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 fire, the fire captain, Mooneyhan, who reported the incident. Um, according to the reporter who responded a day later, <coughs> excuse me, he says that the Secret Service and the FBI actually visited uh, the office of the Longboat Observer and interviewed his editor. And the editor actually told the reporter uh, to cut the story off. And the reason was simple, is that the Secret Service didn't want the story to go any further than what he reported on September 11th, uh, September 12th and 13th. And when asked about the Mooneyhan incident, the Captain Mooneyhan, who, who told the reporter about his incident, the reporter actually said that when he did a follow-up with Mooneyhan, Mooneyhan actually changed his whole story and says, uh, to the best, uh, to best of my ability, I'll quote, um, I have a family and I don't want to compromise them and my livelihood, end quote. Yeah, I'll, um, I've got the quote right in front of me, actually, and that, that's uh, exactly right. I have a creative thing about it. But he actually said I, he was visited by the CIA and the Secret Service after 9-11, which is um, interesting for a couple of reasons. I don't know what the secret service's domestic mandate is but i'm assuming they they have one um makes sense uh, the cia don't like what what they're doing visiting people in florida that wouldn't be within their mandate and we'll also revisit the theme of uh, the cia and fbi visiting people in florida to pressure them to change their story or forget certain things in coming episodes right I, well with the cia probably is that also um, the um, Huffman Aviation uh, was known to be a CIA drop-off point yeah. for drugs. Well, that, I suppose, yeah, we'll, we'll go on to that in, in coming episodes. Right. So, um, what, do you, what do you make of this whole thing? It's, it's only two weeks ago that we were talking about the coincidence of George W. Bush being friends with um, Prince Bandar bin Sultan, who financed two of the hijackers, Right. Um, which, you know, now most Americans aren't personally friends of anyone who had anything to do with the September 11th attacks, except the president is. And it just seems like a strange coincidence that he would go to the same place in Florida as um, the lead hijacker was being spotted, okay? Like beyond a coincidence. So that's a weird thing. Um, and then 
you could almost tell the story where this is, okay, an attempt by Islamic fanatics to kill the president, except that it's Christian animists from Sudan who you would think would actually probably suspect they might get a better deal out of um, the evangelical Christian president, George W. Bush. So that's a strange kind of curveball. And then you've got the um, the Secret Service and the like running around trying to cover this whole thing up. So um, how do you deal with those? Yeah, those. what do you think of those curveballs in there? And what, what could and if they are Christian animus types, what could Muhammad Attar's possible connection to them be? That's just there's too many coincidences here, and I think what we have to start with is that why would they want to kill Bush? In in the fact that, and why would the Secret Service and the FBI want to kill the story so quick if it was a non-related incident, as they say, and Everything else, every answer will be based on speculation. Hmm. Yeah. And we could, we could say that Atta, who came to Florida uh, just four days before the attacks, uh, knew about um, Bush visiting there and went to try and kill him. But what would his links be with the SPLA, as you say? There is none. There's no links, direct links to there. Um, so who are these people? And why would uh, the FBI and the INS cover up um, them being deported out of the country if there was an unrelated incident, as the FBI states. Plus, you also have to into the fact that if the FBI, if you want to say that the FBI wanted to get Bush out of the way um, and have Cheney run the country, which he was doing in Washington on September 11th, making the most important decisions in the first three hours, you could say that they wanted Bush to get out of the way just for that, right? So, yeah, I mean, this, this has many questions more mm. than answers. So be careful as to the answers itself. Sure, sure. The, the other thing that just strikes me is odd. How would someone go about acquiring the name of Secret Service agent? Right, like, I mean, the answer's kind of in the question, really, the, the word secret. <laughs> so yeah. how, how easy is that to do? I don't know. And does that imply some kind of inside knowledge, right? And I'm not even necessarily suggesting inside knowledge as in a conspiracy headed by Dick Cheney. I'm talking about in the way that um, during the 1993 bombing and so on, um, these groups had people in planning offices in New York, like Al-Qaeda itself can infiltrate US government structures. So, but can you speak to that about the this high strangeness of this guy having the name of a Secret Service agent? Right, but the that agent's name uh, didn't exist. Now, it, it oh, sorry, asked, was it was it an incorrect name? Right, it was an incorrect name. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that that's yeah. what clarifies that then, right? But 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 also, but no, it's a good question because it actually states that these people who were in the van really didn't think this through and think that there would be a security, a personal security detail with Bush, and that they thought that by suggesting the person's name, they would get an interview and go through the gates. So they obviously didn't think this through as to. Um, the second layer of security that the Bush would entail. That that's what I that's what I would say right. about that. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, if this was a intricate operation with these guys, um, they would have known that. So, what kind of information were they going by? Well, they obviously knew that he was there. So, where did they? Either they read that through the papers because they announced four days prior he was coming to that, and they tried to assassinate him. And if you have to imply if you want to imply that the you know maybe an element within the fbi or secret service uh 
relayed that information to these guys, um, that they would give an actual name and that they would get in. Yeah. Kill yeah. So they would have had more. So yeah, sure. Right. So yeah. I don't think, I don't think that anybody from the secret service or the FBI, uh, wanted this to happen. Although it's, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of questions regarding about that incident and why it was shut up. And that's, that's what's puzzling to me is that if the, when the FBI told the reporter from the Longford, uh, Florida, um, that this was not correlated to the attacks, why the hush up? Yeah. 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 Makes you, makes you wonder. Okay. Well, I guess that's all we can say uh, on this one, Adam, and it will probably forever remain a mystery. Um, barring information coming forward, or maybe we'll live long enough to have documents to classify it. But until that point, we'll do a follow-up, you know, in 50 years when the documents come out. Until then, sure. we'll, we'll leave it as a mystery. And sure. We the, will... the, 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 oh, if I may intervene. Yeah. Um, the only, the only reason, the only uh, information that you could be privy to is the FBI reports regarding this incident if you were to release them to a, a freedom of information request. Okay. And it, that'll be, that'll be up to them if they want to redact it or unredact the whole report, which most likely will be redacted. Yeah, it's kind of telling in itself. Okay, well, I think we're going to be staying in Florida for a while and looking through some of the, the strange goings on there. Um, so thank you for that, Adam, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, Richard, for having me.